0: Hi, and welcome to episode 3 of season 2 of Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. So, today we'll be discussing part 2 of Aphrodite, where we will be talking about her children and their descendants until I've pretty much considered it not worth discussing. This episode is mostly designed as kind of a oh, random stories you'll get to learn about. Be warned, uh, some of these stories can get really convoluted and have. Insane amounts of versions that you just uh, don't necessarily need to know, but it's like just there, so I'm going to cover it. Um, so that's just a little warning ahead of time. But without further delay, let's just dive right in. So we're going to recap who are Aphrodite's kids. First, by Ares, uh, she had eros Cupid, Phobos, Deimos, and Harmonia. By Hermes, she mothered Hermaphroditus whom we've already discussed before, but we will discuss once more, maybe with a bit more depth than last time. By Poseidon slash Bootes, Bootes being the son of Teleon slash Poseidon and Zuccipi, daughter of Eridanus, She mothered Erex. By Bacchus slash Dionysus, she mothered Priapus and Hymen or Hymenaeus. And by Anchises, she bore Aeneas and Lyris. But since Aeneas's whole story is the Aeneid, we will not talk about him. With all that said, we can start discussing the kids' stories and their kids. First, we have Eros Cupid. He is a god of love, called Amor Cupid by the Romans. As mentioned last episode, according to the Elysian poet Olin, he's sometimes thought to be the son of Alethea the goddess of childbirth. And apparently, he was worshipped at Thespii in Boeotia as a god of love and loyalty between young men in the form of a simple phallic statue. So, we're now going to dive into his stories. There are a couple, some we have talked about already, some we have not, and then we'll just keep going. So, in one fun story of his, Prometheus had fashioned like men and fashioned people um, via like mud and rain. We'll get to talk about that later. And when it was time to show them to Zeus, he quote unquote neglected um, to show Phinon uh, to Zeus, who was apparently just a super beautiful and handsome mortal, and Eros was like, wow, I'm so cool, I'm going to go tell on Prometheus. And as soon as he did, Zeus sent Hermes to convince Phinon to come join Olympus, as he would get immortality. And then Phinon agreed, and eventually was turned into Jupiter, or sometimes Saturn, although usually Saturn is thought to be named after some mortal named Phaethon. In another story... Cupid was said to have caused Hades, or I guess Eros in this version, to fall in love with Persephone. We will detail that story in more depth when we talk about Hades. In another story, after Apollo had told Cupid slash Eros to leave Archery to men, he caused Apollo to fall in love with Daphne by shooting him with a gold arrow, and Daphne with a lead arrow to hate him. This led to the famous story I have detailed, and again will detail in the episode on Apollo. As mentioned last episode, he was also said to have caused Medea, daughter of Aetes and Idia, to fall in love with Jason, son of Ison and polymede slash Alchimede. And finally, we have the most important and significant story of Cupid slash Eros, which is with Psyche, which is recounted in the Metamorphoses, but we shall do it now. So Psyche was a beautiful daughter and sister to two other beauties of some random king. Her loveliness was so unparalleled and famous that people stopped worshipping at shrines of Venus. This is not good. The two sisters found husbands immediately, but Psyche was struggling because she was too beautiful and so few men even deemed themselves worthy to uh, wed her or even consider the possibility of wedding her. And in the meantime, Venus had grown jealous of Psyche and asked Cupid to make Psyche fall in love with some nobody. At the same time, Psyche's father was getting worried, as was she, of offending the gods and incurring their wrath. So, her father went to the Oracle of Apollo at Miletus and asked what is up, and got a pretty terrible answer. Uh, the Oracle told him to set up his daughter, dressed as if for a wedding, on an abandoned mountaintop to be wed to some horrible monster. The parents committed, um, questionable I think as is, but I guess they deemed it better than incurring any wrath, and left regretfully and hid themselves at home. Eventually, Psyche, sitting there like all alone, fell asleep and was carried off by a gentle west wind to a magnificent and fairy-like castle. Psyche lived in this castle, finding out from invisible voices that they were her servants, and she lived out a lovely life, slowly noticing at night there was her husband next to her who seemed like no monstrosity. Her husband told her, though, not to know who he is or try to ever look at his face, as she would run the risk of losing him forever. So either on the fourth night of being there, or weeks later, because versions always vary, she asked to see her sisters who were so desperately trying to see her. He eventually conceded, saying that it would be fine for a day if she were not to be controlled by them to try figuring out who he was. Psyche, being a lovely, loving sister, brought them great gifts that only sowed envy in their hearts and they they planned to have her destroyed by hiding a lamp to view his face at night. She was even warned by her husband that if she were to try seeing him, the child they had had would be mortal but otherwise immortal. Then, being the mortal she was, she tried to view his face at night using a lamp and saw a beautiful young boy who was Cupid and due to her hand trembling too much at the sight, hot wax fell onto his face. Cupid, then burned, flew away not to return, uh, hurt that the woman he had saved, ignoring his mother's orders, had betrayed him. Then, Psyche's sisters apparently found out her husband was Cupid and went to the same mountaintop where Psyche had been abandoned, asking for Cupid to marry them, but when they jumped off the mountain, they fell and died. (laughs) Uh, This is just kind of like a stupid thing for them to think this would work, but this is a classic thing that mortals seem to do. Psyche then... Went to pray at Juno and Circe's, or sorry, Ceres, uh, Ceres' shrines, but they did not respond because they didn't want to anger Venus. And Venus, angered by Cupid for not punishing Psyche, hunted her down and gave her the four famous tasks. First, Psyche was given a room full of grains, which she was to sort by nightfall. Luckily, a band of like nice and sympathetic ants rolled up and just carried her, like they just divide them, divided them all into night neat. Nice, neat stacks. Uh, This was a really tough task because there's no way you can do that by nightfall given the morning. Second, she was told to get the golden wool from a flock of man-eating sheep. She was ready to commit suicide, um, not thinking she'd be able to do it, but a talking reed dissuaded her and told her to wait until the sheep went to sleep in the afternoon and then collected the wool that got stuck to the briar bushes in the grove. The third task. Psyche was ordered to collect a jar full of water from the river Styx, where it burst from the side of a precipice of Mount Aeroanius in northern Arcadia. Again, she was suicidal, but then the eagle of Jupiter, owing a debt to Cupid who had helped him carry Ganymede to Olympus, took the jar and collected the water for her. Fourth and finally, she was ordered to bring back from Hades in a box a day's supply of Proserpina, who is Persephone's, uh, beauty ointment, A.K.A. just this flask of liquid that was the essence of youth. She then climbed to the top of a tower to kill herself once more, but the tower talked to her and gave her super specific directions, which she carried out. First, she went to Tainarum, a place in southern in the southern Peloponnese, uh, Peloponnesus. I don't know which way you say it. Famous for being a gate to the underworld. When she entered, she had two obols in her mouth and two honey cakes in her hands. She ignored some lame man who asked for rope to tie a load on the back of his lame donkey, and she gave Charon a coin to cross the river. Uh, During that transit, she refused the request of a floating corpse to be pulled into the ferry. Then, once she was on the other far side of the shore, she ignored three women who tried to ask her to help weave a cloth, as all of these people were ploys to drop the honey cakes, uh, and they were all placed by Venus. Then, she used a cake to please Cerberus, and she visited Proserpina, and refused her offer for a meal in a grand chair, and simply ate bread while sitting on the ground. Then, she delivered Venus's request, and got out very easily using another cake to please Cerberus, and another obol, for Charon to ferry her back across, and made it out, but once she was back up, she gave way to Curiosity, and opened the box to make herself more beautiful, in, like, hope that she would uh, woo... Cupid but sleep came out instead and knocked her out as if she were dead Cupid then decided enough was enough and saved her and awakened her then Cupid begged to marry her begged Jupiter to marry her and then she bore a daughter named Voluptas to Cupid so yeah that is pretty much the entire Cupid psyche story it's uh, pretty silly um, but it's like a very famous story and one that is just worth knowing but, yeah, that is pretty much the entire story. Now we can move on to the next kids, which are Phobos and Demus. They, besides just being personifications of emotions associated with war, which is like the whole idea, they were just merely companions of Ares in battle. That is like all they did. There is nothing notable about them. Next, we have Harmonia. So she's sometimes said to be the child of Zeus and Electra, according to like a Samothracian version of the story, uh, Electra being the Pleiad. And regardless, though, she was married off to Cadmus, founder of Thebes and son of Agenor and Telephasa by Zeus. So like she was married off to Cadmus by Zeus. So she was famous, besides being a child of Ares and Aphrodite and a wife of Cadmus, for the legendary wedding of hers that was attended by the gods. The only other people who got this level of a marriage ever again were Peleus, son of Iacus and Adeus, and Thetis, the Nereid. At this wedding, the Muses sang, and glorious gifts were given, such as a throne from Hera, a scepter from Hermes, and a spear from Ares. The most famous gifts, though, were the famed necklace and robe of Harmonia. The origins are disputed as to who made them, whether the robe is was made by the graces, or both items were made by Hephaestus, or Hephaestus and Athena. Either way, they were very famous for the fact that they were poisoned with bad luck. Which led to the downfall of whomever possessed it leading to many stories in the theban cycle and progression like it didn't affect harmonia i guess explicitly directly but it affected her kids um like i guess it brought bad luck on her through her kids and then as people possessed it it just went really poorly um eventually they became ex-voto offerings at delphi after a whole complicated story that i'll eventually get to detail and apparently they were stolen during the days of philip of macedon i don't know if there's more than one philip but i feel like there is so i'm not sure which one it is um that was just what one of the books suggested either way this wedding was super famous and at this wedding it was said that demeter laid with Iasion, son of zeus and electra in this case a brother of harmonia so this is like the samothracian version in the thrice plowed field and bore to him plutus the minor agricultural deity and Philomelus, the inventor of the wagon, who eventually got put up as a constellation Bootes, but instead of B-U-T-E-S B-O-O-T-S. And I think it's Bootes actually, I think there may be a diarysis. Either way, Harmonia and Cadmus had Polydorus, Aino, Atonoe, Semele and Agave. They were all the parents of famous Thebans that I could spiral through and end up going through the whole Theban lineage, so I will not. Eventually though, Cadmus and Harmonia were grief-stricken at what happened to their kids and emigrated to the Ankeleans in Illyria, where they ended up as rulers thanks to Agave, their daughter, marrying King Lycotherces and killing him. Eventually, they were turned into snakes by Ares and lived in the Elysian fields, which is pretty fitting as Cadmus had actually killed Ares' son a serpent in the founding of Thebes' story. Next, we have Hermaphroditus, an obvious combination of the name Hermes and Aphrodite. Apparently, sometimes, he was actually also called Atlantiades, or Atlantius, after his great-grandfather Atlas, via Hermes, because Hermes is the child of Zeus and Maya, Maya being the daughter of Atlas and Pleione, because she's a Pleiad. so yeah, or Pleiad. so yeah. Um, he was reared by nymphs of Lycia and Mount Ida, and at the age of 15, he was apparently one of the prettiest boys in the world, and left to Caria. Somewhat close to Halicarnassus, he was noticed by the nymph, Salmachus. She made advances, but he was too embarrassed to do anything. Um, so she waited until he bathed in her spring, and then she attacked him, and their two bodies fused into one. This makes Salmachus the first and like only uh, like, female rapist in mythology. Um, that doesn't really ever occur, but she's, like, the only, I guess, person who ever did that. Because there's a lot of, like, tricking people into having sex, which I guess is just raping of its own. But this is, like, completely unwilling and stuff. Like, this is, like, the first and only time that ever happens. So, horrified at his change, Hermaphrodite prayed to his parents that all other men who bathed in the spring should also become half-men or hermaphrodites. This popularized the subject of men with bodily proportions of women, but male genitals in late classical times. Apparently, he's also said to be a follower of Bacchus, according to a bunch of different bas-reliefs. Uh, I guess it could make sense, because Bacchus' like, chain of people is pretty um eccentric in terms of just like a wide variety of different types of people and stuff, so that's a total possibility, but that's pretty random, usually it's just associated with the... Uh, spring slash lake, and that's pretty much it. Now, we can move on to Eryx. Eryx was an early king of northwestern Sicily who named a mountain after himself, which was famous for having a shrine to Aphrodite at its summit, as well as a city that is still there to this day. He also ruled over the famous city of Lilibium, known as Marsala today, where Bootes was carried to, and in some versions was where Persephone was picking flowers when Hades kidnapped her. His most significant story, however, was when Heracles was returning with the cattle of Geryon, his tenth labor, and Eryx decided to challenge him to a fight, staking his whole kingdom on it as he wanted to get that cattle. Eryx either got defeated in boxing or wrestling, and instead of Heracles taking the kingdom, he handed it over telling the inhabitants that one day a descendant of his would come and take possession. Allegedly in the historical era, some Lacedaemonian Doreus, some descendant of Heracles, I guess, Cayman did found a colony. So, somehow, although no myth seems to explain this connection, Acestes slash Aegestes, the famous king of Eryx who we meet in the Aeneid and son of Cernesis and Aegesta slash was descended from Eryx. Although every single genealogical connection doesn't exist. So, like, I don't understand how he's descended from uh, Eryx but we're going to go with it. Unless, like, somehow through Crenesis, but that's also really unlikely because he's a river god. So this is where I was saying we're going to have a massive digression as we talk about uh, Acestes and all the different ways as to how he, like, ended up coming about. So I guess that was a Trojan woman, so we need to first explain how she ended up in Sicily. There are multiple versions. Version number one after laomedon refused to pay apollo and poseidon for building the framed walls of troy leading to them respectively sending a plague and a sea monster uh laomedon was forced with an issue of like how does he deal with either of these problems so the latter problem was solved by chaining hesione his daughter to a rock to sacrifice to the gods but heracles promised her hand and more saved her and killed the monster the plague on the other hand was still not solved the trojans eventually found out through inquiry that they needed to give up the youngest generation of nobles to the monster, so everyone sent their kids away, including Hippotes slash Hippostratus, who gave his daughter Aegesta slash Segesta to some merchants who brought her to Sicily, where Crenesis, in the form of a dog or a bear, coupled with her and produced Aegestes slash Aegestes, who founded the town of Aegestes slash Segestes slash Segesta. Version 2. Aegesta was the daughter of Phoenodamas, who advised the Trojans to sacrifice Hesione to the sea monster, so for this, Laomedon handed over Phoenodamas' daughters to merchants to be abandoned in Sicily. Aphrodite saved them, and she ended up marrying Cernissus, she being Aegesta, and bore to him Achestes slash Segestes, who founded the towns Segestes, Eryx, and Entella. In version number three... Aegesta, daughter of Hippotes, once more actually returned to Troy after she had already been, like, thrown to Sicily. And she married Capus and bore Anchises, the father of Aeneas, who's eventually received by Achestes on Sicily. Anchises and Achestes are supposed to be really good friends, so this is, like, I guess a way of connecting them if they are quite literally connected by their mothers. In version 4... Aegesta's grandfather, whoever he may be, roused the Trojans against Laomedon and was put to death with all his male family. Then, Laomedon didn't want to kill the women, so he gave them to merchants and some young Trojan went with them and slept with Aegesta and fathered Acestes, who grew up in Sicily. And eventually he did return to defend Troy during the Trojan War and left back to Sicily when Troy was destroyed with some obscure illegitimate son of Anchises named Elimus. So those are just four versions as to how describing how Igesta is a thing and like how is she Trojan. Um, You don't need to know pretty much any of those versions. Uh, Those are all really obscure and really complicated, but if you wanted to, those are all the different stories. There's also another Achestes slash Igestes. whether this may be the same one is pretty unlikely, who was a priest at Lanuvium and after founding the city of Alba, He brought the images of the Penates there, but they kept returning to Lanuvium, like every time they were brought over, so he just got sent to practice at Lanuvium with the images, because that's where they wanted to be. After all of that, there is literally one story from the Aeneid to know, and that is during the funeral games of Anchises, Acestes took part in the archery contest as the host, and he won because when he shot his arrow, it went into flames, like burst into flames as a sword into the sky. That is literally, there's so much, there's so much background to get to him. But once you get to him, there's like not that much. So yeah, now we can move on to Priapus. So Priapus is this Phrygian fertility god who is specifically known for having a giant phallus slash penis. He was represented as an ugly satyr-like man who represented the town of Lempsacus, uh, and was the protector of vineyards, gardens, and orchards. One night... He had fallen in love with Lotus and was going to try raping her, but as soon as he got close enough, Salinas's, uh donkey, Selenus being a follower of Bacchus like and his like, tutor, uh, brayed and woke them all up, so he fled off out of embarrassment. There is a variant where it was actually Vesta and not Lotus, which resulted in festivals for Priapus uh, having donkeys sacrificed, but at Vesta's they were crowned with flowers. Uh, this is like as a preservation of her virginity. In some versions of his birth, Zeus actually laid with Aphrodite, so enamored and impressed by her birth from genitals. But Hera, besides being just vengeful, feared a child of the prettiest goddess and most powerful god would threaten Olympus, she touched Aphrodite's stomach. What resulted was as Priapus came out, he was super deformed and just had a large phallus. So Aphrodite abandoned him in the mountains to spare herself humiliation. Similar story does exist, uh, just with Zeus being replaced by Adonis. Not the same, like, uh, fear of, like, the gods being destroyed, but just just being vengeful. Hera did the same thing, touched her stomach. Finally, in one amazing story of Priapus, the funniest one and probably, like, the most important one to know, uh, he got an argument with this donkey that had been given the ability to speak by Bacchus, and the argument was about, in theory, uh, who had a larger phallus. And Priapus actually lost the argument to the donkey and beat it to death, and Bacchus put the donkey in the heavens as one of the two donkey stars. It's it's a very silly story. Um, that is kind of the association with, association with Priapus as just a whole. Um, he is just the he is just this like rustic fertility god, and is just yeah quite the uh, quite the character. Finally, but certainly not least, we have Hymen slash Hymenaeus. He was a patron deity of marriage, the marriage song, and the marriage procession. Sometimes he is thought to be the son of Magnes or Pieris or Calliope slash Cleo slash Urania and Apollo. And various stories explain as to how he became a deity and in various versions he was loved by Apollo, Thamorus, who's the son of Philemon and Argyope, or Hesperus. So let's dive into our four versions. One. He was a beautiful Athenian youth who seemed like a girl, and he fell in love with some girl who he had no hope of marrying, but simply followed. stalker. One day, she went to Eleusis to sacrifice to Demeter, and there she was kidnapped by pirates along with him as they thought he was a girl. Eventually, the pirates got tired, and while sleeping, Hymenaeus killed all of them and returned to Athens alone, saying he would bring the girls back if he got to marry the one daughter he really liked. Somehow, no one thought that's weird. They agreed because, I guess, just, you know, out of, like, the sake of their daughters, and uh, he brought them back and married her. Somehow, I don't know what was going through people's heads when they thought this. They're like, oh, it's great fortune if we sing his name at ceremonies because he just, like, I don't know, he saved the daughters was their logic. But it's like he also forced a marriage. um, Questionable. Second version. He was a skillful musician who was a son of some Magnes, and he was singing at the wedding of Bacchus and Althaya, daughter of Thestius and Eurythemis, and mother of Meliager, when he dropped dead, and to perpetuate his memory, they would say his name at wedding services. Third version, he was once more super-beautiful, now loved by Hesperus, the son of Eos and er, and Astraeus. Similarly, He was singing at the wedding ceremony of Dionysus, Bacchus, and Ariadne, daughter of Minos and Pasiphae, when he lost his voice, and in memory, every wedding song was referred to as the song of Hymenaeus. The fourth and final version. He was a beautiful youth who died on his wedding day, linking him directly to the wedding ceremony, and allegedly was brought back alive by Asclepius, son of Apollo and Coronis, daughter of Phlegios. So Hymenaeus is like significance as like a marriage god is questionable uh because all these versions may exist but in general he's not super super notable or significant i mean there is some note in uh like various weddings in mythology but for the most part he's not really of a whole um significance to be more than just like a concept than just really thinking about Hera as like the main patron deity of marriage. So with that all being said we have now completely talked about all the children of Aphrodite and all their children that are worth noting and this is kind of a rarer case I would want to say where it is pretty barren into how far in depth we went in terms of like you know really touching everywhere and like really expanding through mythology, we didn't really get to talk about that much, evidently, I mean, just by, like, the length, and also by the amount, I mean, it's, it's dense, don't get me wrong, but, uh, because there are just such famous stories, but at the same time, it's not really all reaching, as if you were to do this on Zeus, and have four years talking about everyone, and the kids, and who do they have, and who do they have, and who do they have, so yeah, that is everything, this is part two of Aphrodite, which we have now completely concluded her section, and we will be moving on to Apollo next episode. We will detail the same things we detailed in the last episode with Aphrodite, where we discussed, you know, birth stories, origins, epithets, famous stories, lovers, and who are the kids, and then we'll definitely have to have a separate uh, episode on the kids. As always, I hope it was really fun, educational, and interesting. I hope it wasn't too dry or just boring and you're like i hate everything i hate greek mythology now there's too much going on i hope it's always fun uh yeah if you have any comments questions suggestions concerns or complaints you always have my email otherwise i will see you next time when we discuss apollo take care